I want to share with you an article this morning uh, as we get started. The article says, when, when 17-year-old Nate Hassis left the football field after a recent game, the senior quarterback was pretty excited. In the last game of the season, his team had beaten Cahokia High School 42-20. to He had other reasons to be excited. With seconds left in the last game of his high school career, Hassis completed a 37-yard pass. The completion gave the young quarterback 5,006 yards for his career, setting a new record for the Central State 8 Conference and making him one of 12 Illinois high school quarterbacks to throw for 5,000 yards. A post-game press conference with both coaches would later confirm that all was not as appeared. With less than a minute to go in the game, Hassis was 29 yards short of the record, and since the opposing team had the ball, Springfield's coach realized the only way to get Nate to have a chance to break the conference record was to get the ball back. And so calling a timeout, Coach Taylor conferred with Cahokia's coach and secretly devised a plan. Springfield Southeast would let Cahokia score an uncontested touchdown, and Nate's team would get the ball back with time on the clock for one last drive. The agreement was that when Nate passed the ball, Cahokia defenders would not attempt to interfere. Well, a few days later, Nate wrote a letter to the president of the athletic conference asking that the pass be stricken from the record books. In it, he wrote, while I admittedly would like to have passed the record, as I think most high school quarterbacks would, I am requesting that the Central State 8 does not include this pass in the record books. The honors student who has stated he would like to attend an Ivy League school following graduation told an Associated Press reporter, I just didn't feel right having it. I wanted to preserve the integrity and sportsmanship of the league. This morning I want to talk about integrity. Uh, integrity is, is, is about being honest. It's, it's about strong moral principles and deep convictions. I mean, what was it that caused this young quarterback to take such an action? I mean, you know, consider what he said. I mean, anyone in his place would aim for such an honor. And to be honest, it's really not that big of a deal. These types of things happen all of the time in sports. I mean, what, what's the big deal with it? But it was a big deal for Nate Hassis. You know, because this is, as this young guy, something didn't sit right with him. There was something at the core of this young man that prevented him from accepting this recognition. Accepting the honor would have compromised his own personal integrity. You know, you and I are going to face moments of truth like this in our lives. You know, and it may have nothing to do with the sports record. But whether it be at work or at home or at school, with friends, or with your boyfriend or girlfriend, you and I are going to face these moments of truth, these moments of decision. And it's our response in these moments that will prove who we are and who it is that we live for. And over the next few weeks, we're going to look, take a look at the first six chapters of Daniel. And I want to look at a few different people in this book who faced these moments of truth. You know, let's learn from their right choices and how they went about preserving their own personal integrity. So if you've got your Bibles, turn to the book of Daniel. Go to the Old Testament. Uh, if you open it right in the middle, chances are you'll end up in Psalms. Go to the right a little bit and you'll find the book of Daniel there. And this morning I want to begin in Daniel chapter 1. And Daniel is one of the most unusual biographies in the Bible. It's got a lot of narrative, 
But if you read through this entire book, there's a lot of prophecy as well. Now, we're not going to spend much time in the prophecy. We're going to look more at the narrative side of it. But Daniel here spent most of his life living under the public eye, yet there's not a mark against him, not even one. And that can't be said of Moses, because if you read about Moses in the Bible, you find that he killed a guy. That can't be said uh, about David, because if you read about David, you'll find that he, got, uh, he committed adultery. But Daniel, I mean, Daniel was different. He, he's one in the f- of the few men in the Bible who, who stood strong. You know, does it mean he was perfect? No, he wasn't perfect, but he was a faithful example throughout his life. He was a great example of integrity. If you're looking with me in Daniel chapter 1, we'll begin here in verse 1. And, and we're going to just read some of these verses together today, so make sure you keep your page and your place as we read through the opening of this narrative. Daniel chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, I'll read for you. It says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Now Jehoiakim, as the Bible tells us here, was the Jewish king at the time. He was the one sitting on the throne. He was Daniel's king. Nebuchadnezzar was the evil king. He was the king of Babylon. And the Babylonian army invaded Israel and attacked Jerusalem. And over a period of time, over the course of time, God allowed the pagan army, this Babylonian army, to overtake and conquer the city of Jerusalem. And when they did this, and when many of the Babylonians left to go back to their own land, they took many of the sacred items from the temple, but Nebuchadnezzar didn't stop there. There was more to it. Let's continue on. It says, Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them language and the literature of the Babylonians. So it's like this cultural brainwashing that's taking place, or this reprogramming. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. And hold on to that because that's going to be very important to what we're talking about this morning. And they were to be trained for three years. And after that, they were to enter the king's service. Among these were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And the chief official gave them new names. And this is an important detail as well. And hold on to this because we'll come back to it. To Daniel, the name Belshazzar. To Hananiah, the name Shadrach to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. And so Babylon invaded Jerusalem and took the town by force. And as the Babylonians went back home, they took money, they took these important items from the temple, and they took people. They took people with them from Israel back to Babylon. They took these large groups of slaves. And Daniel was a part of the exiles that were taken from Israel back to Babylon. And we assume that he was around the age of 16 at the time, 16 years old. Daniel was 16 at the time of this story, and he had three notable friends with him, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and we'll talk a little bit more about their story next week. Now, the question that I have to ask in this is, why did God allow this to happen to his people? 
I mean, Israel were God's people. The Jews were God's people. And why is it that he would allow this evil nation to come in to sack Jerusalem, to sack the capital city, and to carry all these people back to Babylon? Well, I think there are at least a couple of reasons. The first is that Jehoiakim was an evil king. And he was a part of a line of, of evil kings that had ruled over Israel. He was ruthless. He had little to no regard for God's word. He, there, were, there were portions of the Old Testament that he had gone through and cut out and throw, thrown away because he simply didn't like it or agree with it. We kind of do that sometimes as well, don't we? He was the epitome of what the Jewish people had become. The second factor was this king, King Nebuchadnezzar from Babylon. He ruled over a powerful empire, the strongest in the world at the time. And it's important to realize that Babylon was an evil nation. Um, Babylon was, was the center of the evil world. It was the center of wickedness. I mean, this is sin city, you know, during this time. And in the book of Jeremiah, God had warned the people of Israel previously that if they continued down this path of unfaithfulness, that they would eventually fall into the hands of their enemy. And they didn't listen. And as predicted... They were defeated by Babylon as God had said it would be. And by allowing the Israelites to fall into captivity, God was really just handing his people over to the pride and the sin that they wanted in their life, the sin that they desired. Now think with me for a second and just try, if you would, and put yourself in Daniel's shoes. You're 16. It's possible he lost his parents in this. They may have been killed or they're sent with a completely different group, an entire different group of exiles to a different portion of Babylon and he'll never see them again. I mean, can you imagine being uprooted from your home, you know, from your family, from your culture, you know, from spiritual roots, you know, and being dropped off 720 miles from home in this brand new pagan environment? I mean, that's what happened to Daniel. That's what happened to this 16-year-old. This 16-year-old Daniel is going to show us what he's made of. He's going to show us what integrity looks like. He's going to show us who he is at the core because Daniel, even at the age of 16, was willing to stand strong when no one was looking. And so the question is, how did he do it? Well, I think there are a few things that we can take from the text this morning that will help us to see the strength in Daniel. Look, if you would, at verse 8. It says, But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. And I think one of the things that immediately comes out of this verse is that Daniel resolved not to defile himself. He, he, he made a decision, and that's really the key phrase in this entire chapter, and even for this entire book, that Daniel resolved not to defile himself. Basically, Daniel made this conscious choice not to pollute or stain his reputation. And it wasn't easy. I mean, because remember, Daniel's now in this new home. He's 720 miles from everything he's ever known or used to. And the Babylonians did everything that they could to break him and others when they arrived in Babylon. I mean, they changed the surroundings. You know, they threatened him. They were a ruthless people. They changed his name. Do you remember that? You remember what the text said, that his name was Daniel and they gave him this brand new name, Belshazzar? The name Daniel was a name given by his parents. His parents were godly people and they named him Daniel because it means that God judges. But the Babylonians renamed him and they named him Belshazzar, which is a pagan name. It means the prince of Bel, who was a pagan god. And so he's got this brand new name and when he's known his name is Daniel, now everybody else is calling him Belshazzar all of a sudden. But it's this reminder of this new place that he's in. But even with the name change and even with the change of surroundings Daniel wouldn't break 
And Daniel and his friends, the group of people that he were with, these young guys, these, these handsome men, as the text said, these bright men, they kind of lucked out in all of this. Because as slaves, they were fortunate enough to have ended up in the king's palace in Babylon. And, and with that came some great privileges, like dining from the king's table. I mean, they got, they got to eat the good stuff. And, and as it says here in verse 8, Daniel was offered food and wine from the king's table. I mean, no big deal, right? Well, it is a big deal. I mean, because in Daniel's eyes, that food and that wine was defiled. It just means it was polluted. It, according to Jewish law, and remember that Daniel was a Jew, Daniel was forbidden from eating the food and drinking the wine. And here's why. Because Levitical law and the Levites were the priests of the Jewish nation. Levitical law said for all Jewish people, it stated that Jews were prohibited from eating meat and drinking wine that had been sacrificed to false gods. And this is the case with these food items and with this drink here in Babylon. And so here's the decision that Daniel faced. You know what? I can eat and I can drink whatever I want and therefore surrender my convictions and acknowledge that these false gods exist or I can do what's right in God's eyes and face the consequences of a psycho king who doesn't like to be offended. I mean, this is the choice. This is the moment of truth that Daniel faced. And if it's me, you know, if I find myself in this kind of situation, you know, I'd have a hard time saying no. And I think you probably would too. I mean, 720 miles away from home, you're not going back. You're a slave in this new place. It's been a long trip and you're hungry and, and you're jumping at the chance to eat the, at the king's table and you're kind of thinking to yourself, you know what, it's just a porterhouse, you know? You know, uh, or, or, you know, look at that salad. You know, what is it? I mean, it's just food. You know, who's going to know? I mean, I'm 720 miles from home. I don't think this was supposed to happen. You know, I'm God's a forgiving God. I mean, I, I could eat that, and tonight when I get to my room, I'll just kind of clear things up with God, and we'll be good, and we'll move on. I mean, it's just a tiny exception. I mean, we all have to eat, right? But I like how the living word describes it or words it here because it said that Daniel made up his mind not to eat the food this was his decision this was his choice in this moment and the truth for you and me is that many of our spiritual battles that we face on a day-to-day -day occasion really begin in our mind I mean, they begin right in our mind, and, and they start out as small and insignificant battles, and, and we say, you know, what's the big deal? You know, and so we minimize the issue. You know, we minimize the choice, we, and, and it becomes easier for, for us to stretch the truth and, and the potential consequences, and, and so you kind of deceive your spouse, and you say, you know what, honey, nothing's going on. I mean, she's just a coworker. I mean, we're just working on this project together. Or all of a sudden you have selective memory when you're, you're filling out your taxes and you rationalize and say, you know, no one's watching. It's just a few minor changes or just a few things that I'll just leave out. No one will ever know. Here's my challenge to you. It's a challenge for you. It's a challenge for me too. That even when no one's looking, be a man of God. Even when no one's looking, be a woman of God. You know, when no one's looking, be a student for God in your, your middle school, your high school, or on your college campus. And be that person with integrity. Be defined by who you are and who you live for. And don't settle for anything less than that. 
And the crazy thing is that in many ways, this story about Daniel and Babylon is really a story about you and me. Because more than we realize, we live in a Babylon today. I mean, we live in Babylon, and I'm not a doom and gloom kind of guy. I mean, I think that America is, is the best place in the world to live. I think we can be thankful for that, especially on a weekend like this for the men and women who have served our country. I think it's the best place in the world to live, and I think we have a number of reasons to be hopeful for what God is going to do in this community, in this country, and through the church today. But it's like Billy Graham said one time, if God doesn't judge America one day, he'll owe Sodom and Gomorrah a great big apology. I mean, we live in Babylon, and you know, Babylon at this time was the center of evil and pride and arrogance, and America is more like that than we realize. I mean, all of the greed, all of the arrogance, the sexual immorality, the decline in morals and values. I mean, we are idolaters. We serve these false gods. We're saturated. We're caught up in our own pride and our own personal gain. I mean, America is this believe what you want, do what you want, do what makes you happy kind of a culture. I mean, it really is, and I don't think any of us can disagree with that. And as followers of Jesus, you and I have called, been called to live in this world. I mean, there's a reason why you and I are here. I mean, we are here for a reason. It's not by chance. It's not by accident. We are called to live in this world, but not of this world, as the Bible says. I mean, we are foreigners here. We are strangers. You know, so we, should we look to just escape the world and, and get on out of here as quick as we can? Well, yes and no. I mean, the Bible tells us to, to be ready, to stay out on the, uh, for the look, because Jesus is coming back one day, and when He does come back, for those who, who call upon His name, who have put their trust in Him, heaven will be their reward, you know, because of what Jesus Christ has already done for us. But until that day, the earth is our mission. You know, I mean, we are Daniel, this is our place, this is our Babylon, and our neighbors and our co-workers make up a part of that purpose. You and I have been called by God to share His love with others and those that we come into contact with. And that's why the mission of our church is to help people find their way back to God. That's what we're called to do. That's why we're here in this community, in this county, in this part of Indiana. How are we going to accomplish this? It's the power of God working through you and me. And what kind of people is God going to use? People with integrity. And there is no greater strike or mark against the Christians or the church today than people who say one thing and walk out the door and live another. And that's our challenge today. We must live with integrity. It's my challenge. It's your challenge. And it was Daniel's challenge too. But fortunately for Daniel and these men in Babylon, they drew a line in the sand. And Daniel was one of the four. And Daniel resolved not to defile himself. And that leads to another thing that Daniel did to preserve his integrity. Look at verse 8 again. It says, But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. I think it's interesting here to note that Daniel verbalized his intentions. 
He, he kind of got it out in the open and just said, hey, I've I got to tell you what this is all about. Daniel asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. He said, hey, I'm not going to eat of this food and this wine for a reason. He spoke out. He stated his concern. He just said, hey, I can't do this. And with no one looking, it would have been much easier to compromise in this situation. But not if you're Daniel. Because he doesn't try and hide or disguise the real reason by saying, hey, I'm allergic. Yeah, I've, I've got these food allergies and everything on the table just, just doesn't go well for me. I swell up and get hives and everything. No, instead, my God will not permit me to eat these things. And I think we can learn from Daniel right here because we're kind of growing up in this culture today that just says keep your opinions to yourself, especially if I disagree with them or especially if they seem somewhat countercultural to a popular opinion today, just kind of hold them to yourself. But I think we might do well, every once in a while at least, to verbalize our problem with something, especially something we perceive to be wrong. I mean, call it out, don't hide it. You know, this is what I believe, and this is who I am. And call attention to the struggle or call attention to the disagreement and share it with others. And I think in doing so, it will even sometimes help to hold us accountable to what we say we believe. The Miss USA pageant was held just a couple of weeks ago and I didn't watch it, okay? I'm not a Billy Bush fan and even if I was a Billy Bush fan, I wouldn't watch it. But if you stay in touch with the press at all, you, you might have seen the controversy surrounding this year's pageant uh, due in part to the first runner-up Miss California. And the controversy surfaced when Miss California was asked a question during the interview portion of this year's pageant. Uh, Miss California was asked to give her views on the legalization of same-sex marriages uh, across the country today. And here's how she replied. She replied, I believe marriage to be between a man and a woman. That's how I was raised. Now, I'm not sure if she knew what she was getting herself into when she responded to this question. And maybe she did. And, and some say her honest response cost her the Miss USA pageant because she, in turn, was eventually awarded first runner-up. And, and the rippling effect from her answer has been nothing but nasty and vicious. Uh, she has been ridiculed and called every name in the book. She's been accused for being hateful towards homosexuals. There was even a group of people that were fighting to have her crown taken away from her uh, in the Miss California pageant. And you may have seen or heard that, that Donald Trump, the owner of the Miss USA pageant, finally had to step forward and make this ruling that she would not lose her crown. I mean, it's somewhat unbelievable, really, if you think about it. I mean, it's so unfortunate to think that you and I might lose our right and the privilege that we have in this free country to honestly answer a question about our feelings towards marriage. And if I remember correctly, Miss California was asked to answer the question honestly. You know, you answer it from yourself. Don't give someone else's answer. You give your own answer. And the thing is that she knew beforehand, even before the interview took place, that there were a series of questions and that this very question might end up before her and, and she would be expected to answer it. And so she knew the risks. She, she answered truthfully. And that's integrity. And I think it would have been easy for Daniel in his situation to water it all down and say, you know what, I just got here. We hit White Castle on the way in and I'm not even hungry right now. You know, but he didn't do that. You know, when offered the food, sacrificed to idols, he said No. I won't have any part of it. His convictions presented him from compromising his integrity. Do you think integrity is important today? 
I mean, a day when politicians make laws and then break them, or a day when corporate bigwigs, you know, aren't willing to live by, you know, some of the own policies that they've established, or they make these decisions that cost others. You and I must be willing to live by what we say, to be defined by who you are. Or look at it this way, how about Miss California? I mean, what a great opportunity for a young woman to stand up for her beliefs on a national platform. But unfortunately for Miss California, the controversy around her life has only continued. Because since her fearless stand, a number of these inappropriate photos and stories have emerged about her own private life. Some are true. Some may just be rumors. But because of some poor choices that she's made, her integrity has been compromised. And in Daniel's moment, he had a choice to make, and Satan was whispering, you know, what happens in Babylon stays in Babylon. But somehow Daniel found the strength to stand strong. And part of that resolve came from verbalizing his objection to others, I won't eat that food, I serve God. What's it look like for you and me to live like this? You know, it means to, hey, tell a worker, hey, I'll go on the business trip with you, but I'm not doing the nightlife thing with you. Or say to your wife and kids, you know, for the good of our family, we're getting an internet filter. Or to tell your boyfriend, hey, I'm saving myself for marriage. And if you can't accept that, then find someone else. Or to tell your college roommate up front, I don't party. And please don't ask me to compromise this. And be like Daniel. Look at verse 9. It says, Now God caused the official to show favor and sympathy to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I am afraid of my Lord, the king, who has assigned you food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. And so the last thing that we see in Daniel is this, that he was trusting in God through all of this. Now Daniel trusted God, and Daniel didn't know how it would all work out, but he had a plan that would give him the opportunity to maintain his faith and his principles. Verse 11, it says, Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test us. Please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So we agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. Now the king needed healthy men and he kind of had this complex about making sure that his servants had this certain stature. And so Daniel devised a plan. And it was a big risk to believe that in 10 short days of, of, of God-honoring Jewish diet, that it could somehow transform their appearance. But it was more trust, really, than risk for Daniel. And our problem is that when we face moments of truth, we don't trust God enough. We don't trust God enough to believe that He'll provide, or we don't trust God to think that He can give us the patience to deal with the ridicule. Or that God can, get, can take care of us enough to meet our own physical needs. But Daniel put his life on the line. He turned the situation over to God. And that's what trust looks like. And so here he is in the middle of this pagan culture. He's surrounded by idol worship, yet he's receiving all of this first-class treatment. He had every reason at all not to trust God. And Daniel's situation might be like yours. Because maybe in your circle right now, it kind of feels like you know, in your work environment or your circle of friends or even in your family that, that everyone's acting one way and you're kind of the oddball of them all. 
You know, your faith and your integrity is, is being put to the test. Your beliefs and convictions are, are being questioned. And if that's you, and you, you haven't been tested already, you will. And when the time comes, you will have to decide whether you're going to draw a line in the sand and be an influence in the culture or be influenced by this culture. And Daniel had two choices. He could choose faith or he could choose fear. And the Babylonians were ruthless. They had every right to cut off his head and they had a history to prove it. And if you're being tested right now, Daniel's story, and I think more importantly, God's word, can offer you the encouragement you might need. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6 says, Trust in the Lord your God with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He will make your paths straight. I like that phrase right in the middle of that text which just says, in all your ways, in everything you do, whether it be at work or with your family and friends or with your boyfriend, in all your ways, acknowledge God and He will make your paths straight. Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, Jesus said, don't be afraid of those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. You fear God. Well, I believe that Daniel feared God. And, and Daniel was, in, was faced with this intense pressure to be influenced by this culture that was hovering over Babylon. I mean, he could give in. Or he could choose to be transformed by the strength that comes from God. And thankfully for us, he chose God. And Shane, Daniel chose to be an influence rather than be influenced by Babylon. He fought for his convictions. He was loyal to the core. He, he was a man, a man of integrity even when everyone was watching. And as we're going to find out over the next few weeks, he, his life of integrity influenced an entire nation. Look at these last few verses here before we wrap up. Daniel chapter 1 again, verses 15 and 16. It says, at the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better. This Daniel and, and his friends looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young man, men who ate the royal food. And so the guard took away their choice food and the, wine, <clears throat> excuse me, and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. Verse 18, at the end of the time set by the king to bring them in, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. And the king talked with them and he found none equal. Listen to that. They're standing before this evil king, and as he, he found that none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, so they entered the king's service. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. Don't fear those who can kill the body, but fear the one who can kill the soul. Fear God. That's what Daniel did. That's what these men did. And they were blessed because of it. But here's what I want to finish up with. Because here's one of the things that I think is maybe the most important truth of all of this here this morning. Can I tell you why? Daniel had the strength to preserve his integrity even in an evil place like Babylon. Here's the answer. Daniel made up his mind long before he ever arrived in Babylon who he was going to live for. Because the before the train even pulled into Babylon, he had already made a decision in his heart. He knew the reputation of Babylon. He knew where he was going. But before he got there, he said, I will stand for God. He didn't wait for it to sneak up on him. 
He had a foundation. He was ahead of it. And the text says that he resolved not to defile himself. The Hebrew word there, resolve, carries with it this idea that he made up his mind long before he ever got there. And that's why for you and me, our relationship with God is so important. I mean, Daniel had a strong relationship with God. We can too. And, and that's why, you know, reading your Bible, you know, or, or, or taking an opportunity to sit down and, and to learn from others or, or praying or worship or, are all kind of fundamentals for what we do. I mean, great free throw shooters are great free throw shooters because they shoot free throws. You know, professionals who make 10 foot putts are great putters because they practice 10 foot putts. You know, you and I would do well to to put some disciplines in our life to better prepare ourselves for what comes when we step outside these doors and we enter into the real world. You know, and and God promises to give us strength to say no when it's wrong and, and to give us the strength to say yes when it's right. And that's why God gave us the church. That's why He gave us Genesis Church, a place where we can grow together and support one another. That's what this community is about. This is what we're supposed to be about. It's a place where we can learn. It's a place where we can, we can grow together and support each other. It's a place where we can help one another through the ups and downs of life. It's a place where we, we, we can get on with life. It's why we believe here at Genesis that small groups are so vital. You know, because if you just do the large crowd thing week after week and you never get to know anyone, you're missing some of it. I mean, the Bible talks about the value of being in community together and learning each other's names and sharing in, in the ups and downs of life. You know, you can get with a circle of friends that can help you walk through life. It, it's why our high school and our middle school ministries are so important to our future as a church. It's so important for our students. I mean, Daniel was 16 when he faced these challenges. And I'm not sure that life isn't so much different for our high school and our middle school students today. And the challenges that they're facing every day And I'm excited that our student ministry is a a community where students can connect with one another and and learn from God's Word and hold each other accountable and and cheer one another on. I mean, parents, especially those of you that have young children right now, it's why what you teach your child right now is so important to their future. I mean, don't try and wait until they're 13 because you have this opportunity right now to plant in them a foundation that they will draw from for the rest of their lives. And what you teach them now is going to have an effect on the decisions that they make at parties and whether they say no to drugs or how they treat others, who they choose to marry one day, and how they choose to live their life. You know, children's volunteers, I mean, you're not simply wiping snotty nose in gen kids' rooms when you sign up to serve. I mean, because when you wipe a nose or you take a kid to the bathroom for the zillionth time, you're just partnering with us in, in the help that we're providing to parents to shape a child's heart to show them that they are loved by God. That you're raising up the next generation of Daniels right here in our community and in this world. And I can't think of a greater contribution that you and I can make on a Sunday morning than to serve with our children and and our teens. So students, you go be an influence in your world. Don't let anybody stand up to you on that. I mean, Daniel flipped up Flipped, flipped up. I, I almost said flipped off. He didn't do that, I promise. <laughs> Daniel, through his integrity, flipped the nation upside down. You know, we're going to see that over the next couple of weeks. You know, men and women, you go stand up for truth in your office. In Genesis Church, let's be a great light in Hamilton County and help people find their way back to God. But don't forget, in order to do it collectively, 
It will all come down to the decisions we make as individuals when no one else is looking. Now, I think Jesus knew it was going to be hard. And when he sat with his disciples on his final night before he gave his life, I think he knew that they were going to face some great trials and challenges in their life. And so he gave them this symbol, this symbol that we call communion. And it's something that we still get to share today, that every time we take you know, the bread and the juice, that we're reminded that because Christ was able to walk that path to the cross, you and I can walk any path that we might face. And we can cling to Jesus. And so I'm going to pray. And then I'm going to invite our host team to come forward. And for everyone who calls Jesus Christ the Lord of their life, we invite you to take the bread and the juice. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, this would be just a great time to just let that tray pass right on by. And maybe you can just use this time to reflect on where you are in your spiritual walk right now and what you need in your life in order to make that decision. But I'm going to pray the host team then is going to come forward and they're going to pass out our elements today. And I just want to ask you to take them and to hold them. And Mark will come in just a moment and he'll lead us through the rest of our communion time. Let's pray. God, we just want to thank you for this example of Daniel in the Old Testament. And on the one hand, Lord, it's difficult to look at his life and say, well, he's perfect and so how can we possibly live like that? But on the other side of it, God, to see that he was 16 that he was living away from home in such a difficult and challenging environment, yet he made up his mind a long time ago what he was about and who he was going to live for. And God, I pray that we would be willing to do the same. And God, we thank you for this time of communion where we're reminded of what you have done for us and the sacrifice that you paid in giving your life for every single one of us. And I just pray that you bless this time today, Lord, as we put our eyes on you. In Jesus' name, amen.